0: Hi, I'm Laura Munson, Vice President of Sales and Strategy at ATR International. I'm a parent, I'm a boss, but what I take to heart most is being a true leader in today's complex world. It is my honor to have conversations with other leaders who are making waves in our global communities. As technology evolves and our careers broaden, so does our reach and the ability to impact future generations. We are so glad you could join Thanks for joining us today. I'm Laura Curtin, VP of Sales and Strategy at ATR International, continuing our series of Women in Leadership. Today, I am so excited to have Cheryl Caruso with us. She's a technology leader currently with Blue Cross, Blue Shield of Louisiana. So
1: Cheryl, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, thank you, Laura. Um, So as you mentioned, I'm Cheryl Caruso and I'm a technology leader with Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Louisiana. Uh, I manage a team of of technologists that are responsible for a large uh, Microsoft Dynamics application within the organization. Um, I've been in my industry for about 25 years, holding roles in both business and technology. And in addition to my actual role, I'm I'm involved in uh, diversity and inclusion efforts across the company, as well as leadership coaching and mentoring. Uh, I'm also a mom of three kids. And uh, I've been married to my husband now for uh, 16 years, I think. I can't remember. It's been so long since we've been together. Um, And I live in Louisiana, born and raised in New Orleans. So what do you think is the biggest challenge women face today in the workplace? What's your gut on that? So the biggest challenge I see women facing in the workforce is either they're still kind of being labeled as either too soft or too hard. Um, I still face this challenge today, even with myself, you know, just knowing how to position yourself. And you hear it a whole lot, um, listed as imposter syndrome sometimes. I mean, it really is a real thing. I believe that it is. And it's something that I've, I've actually struggled with as well and had to really work hard to overcome and even to recognize what was actually going on, you know, with myself. I know that as a woman who's come up through the ranks, there's been many times when I've been referred to as, you know, intimidating. I have a very direct leadership style. And, you know, even as a child growing up, you know, was seen as bossy. Sometimes that was the word that was thrown around. So that is a huge challenge for women is to come across as effective leaders, as somebody people want to trust, they want to follow, um, they're, they're influencing others, they're motivating others around them without coming across as being labeled bossy or intimidating. But there's another side to that, I believe, and that is just being who you are authentically. And I've also had to own... That's just how I am. And if I try to change that about myself, well, then it doesn't feel really authentic to me. And so there's a balance there. And I think trying to overcome that challenge is really, you know, getting deep within yourself and recognizing when you're kind of up against that type of wall is, you know, who are the other people in the room? Who is kind of the person who's coming to you with that feedback? And, and really understanding, you know, is it, is it something I'm doing behaviorally that's causing that? Or is it really something with just the way I'm being perceived because I'm a woman and I'm not responding in a way that the other person feels that I should be?
0: Powerful, Cheryl. I think that's going to resonate with a lot of women. In the past, it, it really seems there was one type of leadership. And now that there's much more diversity mm-hmm. in the workplace, it feels like there can almost be a standard of perfection And it's a no-win situation. But what you mentioned about authenticity, I think, is huge. I think as women, when we really let our authentic self shine through, that we really are labeled effective leaders. So I appreciate you sharing your perspective there. So I wanted to get a little bit into ERGs, if you wouldn't mind sharing detailed what ERGs are for folks who don't know. And why is this really important for companies really to implement?
1: Yeah, so at Blue Cross um our ERGs are I mean ERGs is an acronym obviously for employee resource groups. <clears throat> and I look at them as being kind of like a club, like you know when you were in high school and you had like, you know, French club and debate club. Um they're are clubs basically or they're they're groups for people who fall into sort of uh, different categories based on either who they are and and things that they can't change about themselves. For instance, we have an employee resource group that is for people who are military veterans. Um, We also have an employee resource group for leaders. And these are people who are either leaders now or they're working towards becoming a leader. They have a leadership type mindset. And so uh, we have leadership. We have ERG groups for people who are African American. We have leadership uh, ERG groups for women that are specific to women, to parents. Um, let's see, we also have one that is, um, oh, LGBTQ community. Uh, Within the workforce. And so what these groups are set to do is is to bring groups of people together, even if you don't fall into that category. So I'm a member of an African American group. I'm a member of LGBTQ community group, even though I don't identify as either one of those groups, because um, because it's important that I understand, like, what are some things that those groups are facing. So that way, when I'm working with someone that does identify within one of those groups, I'm really aware of some of the challenges they may face that I don't face because I don't identify as those groups of people. it's this really grassroots effort too. So it's not really, it's, it's sort of organized by HR, but HR doesn't really run it completely. Our employees are really the ones who get this off the ground. So as a, a technology leader, you know, it was important to me to join some of these groups and uh, I co-chaired the leadership group for uh, a little over a year um, because, you know, that's where it's really going to permeate is me having a voice on those groups and speaking with other leaders across the organization to tell them what we're doing and to make sure I take some of these issues and bring them into the work that we do every day is super important. It has completely changed the culture of our organization. Um, It's really made us more aware of the people that we work with, the challenges they face. It's given people opportunities to step into roles that they otherwise uh, may have been afraid to step into or that they needed more coaching for. So it's given me an opportunity to coach and also to be coached. And and it's also just brought people together across organizations, really created this pool of diversity where you can really get to see people and how diverse we really are, even if the person that you're sitting next to, you know, it's real easy to see diversity as being someone who is a different race or identifies uh, of a different sexual orientation or something of that nature. But sometimes you have someone sitting next to you and they look like you and you assume that you're alike and there's so many things about you that's not not alike. So it's really to bring the awareness to how important it is to have a diverse workforce.
0: Wow, sounds like you're really making waves within your company. And I, I really think what you shared about um, really being an advocate of other groups as well, just kind of supporting, showing inclusion, showing efforts, that's probably really built a very strong culture in your company, everyone's feeling included. So thank you for going through that. I wanted to talk a little bit about something we had seen on LinkedIn where you really believe strongly in self-improvement and growth. You said, if you're always the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Can you expand a little bit and tell us why you
1: think that's important? Um, That's a quote that I've read several times. So it's not my quote, it's something I've read. I don't know who said it, but I use it often because it did really resonate with me. It gave me a great idea when I was building my team that I needed to hire people smarter than me And I needed to hire people. When I say smarter than me, I don't really want to, it's, it's, it's one of those things when you use things like intelligence, you know, you don't want to offend anybody by saying, oh, this person's smarter than that one or this person. But what I really mean by that is, is, is it gave me this great idea to hire people smarter than me because I don't know everything. And I need smarter people than me that know maybe this niche area or maybe somebody else is better at this niche area to really build out that team in a way that you have different perspectives, that you have different levels of intelligence on the team, that someone else might be really, really good with working with a client, whereas someone else may do really, really better with being behind the scenes. Not everyone is great at everything. And you can be in a room with some really smart people but then you put them in another room and suddenly they don't feel so smart anymore and you feel like the smart person because we all have different skills and talents spring. And if you are the smartest person in the room all the time, you're not learning anything. And more than likely you're you're leaving other people behind. You more than likely are someone who um, other people feel like they can't get a word in with or they don't feel like they're contributing much. You know, why do you need anybody else there if you're always the smartest person in the room? You can just do it by yourself then. You don't need the other people with you. So that's kind of what I was getting at with that. I think it's something really important as a leader to make sure that you're not always the only one with the knowledge and the information, that you surround yourself with other thought leaders.
0: Well shared. I think it's, it's a little bit of Humility as well. I think sometimes leaders feel like they have to be the best, um, have to always have the answers, but I think humility does go a long way. So, thank you for sharing that. Something else, Cheryl, I wanted to bring up when you and I first connected on LinkedIn, you had made a comment that I thought was so profound. I think some people really do have leadership in them from the beginning. You have such a cute little story about yourself as a little girl with Sunday school. So I wanted to see if you'd be willing to share that too.
1: Yeah. Uh, Okay. So this is a story. I tell it all the time because it's, it's such a great story and it's, I still laugh from it because it shocks me even to this day when I talk about it. And my mom (laughs) will love that I'm sharing this story. When I was a little girl, this is probably one of the very first moments. If I look back on my life and I think of all the crazy Cheryl stories, and there's many, this is the (laughs) one that stands out to me as being you know, a real good glimpse into the trajectory of the rest of my life and why it's so not surprising that I've worked towards my career the way I have, and that I'm in leadership the way I have, uh, the way I've gone through that. So I was six years old, um, just to paint a picture of, of what time we're dealing with here, and this will give away my age, but that's okay. It was 1981, so a long time ago. And my mom, we she dropped me off at Sunday school one morning, And we lived in this really small town in Louisiana, Abita Springs, which is known for its beer and its water. And she dropped me off and I went upstairs. And I always used to like to get there early because I like to ring the church bell. Typically my Sunday school teacher was there. But when I got there on this day, I went upstairs by myself, I was very independent. (laughs) I realized she wasn't there. Not only was she not there, but nobody was there. It was very empty. And typically there was a few extra people there in the mornings. And I started to look around, and and then it just kind of hit me that we didn't have Sunday school that week. And either I told my mom and she forgot, or I forgot to tell her from the week prior. But I remember that the week prior, the Sunday school teacher said, "No Sunday school next week." And so I I didn't know what to do, and I was kind of six and panicking, and you know, I was without my mom and suddenly alone, and was scared and nervous. And you know, I, I went outside and I thought about it for a minute. We didn't have a phone. So there was no way for me to call her. We lived on a little small farm and um, my parents didn't have a phone. I didn't know what to do. And I decided I was just, you know, needed to swallow my fear a little bit and I needed to be brave and I was going to do what I needed to do to get home. And so I went out on the sidewalk and I stuck my thumb out and I hitchhiked at six years old. uh, Oh, Yeah, I love that. It's crazy. I don't, I don't know why I did that. But I stuck my thumb out and three elderly women pulled over to pick me up because they see this child hitchhiking on the side of the road. And, um, and they lectured me the whole way home. I knew exactly where I lived and how to get there. So I, I showed them where I lived on the street next to the quail farm. And they brought me home. And my mom was just, you know, they told her what happened. And she was just shocked. She couldn't believe that I did that. You know, even though she's told me a million times, you know, not to talk to strangers, and you know, she's never told me not to hitchhike though. So, you know, but this is funny because it's like, you know, that is kind of like how my mind works. Like, there's a problem, I need to solve it. And at six, you know, my mom said, "Well, you know, you could have just waited at church until I got there an hour later to come back and pick you up." But you know, I'm six and scared, and no, I needed to get home. I wasn't going to wait around in church, and that didn't even dawn on me that that was a suitable option. So. Yeah. That's I love nice.
0: that story. It reminds me of the ask forgiveness later situation, but your mom must have been proud of you. You got home. Yeah. So, not that day. <laughs> not, not, <laughs> no, not that day. Yeah.
1: Aww. So tell me about your biggest success as a leader. My biggest success would be, you know, building a high performing team. Nine years ago, when I came into this role, I was a new leader as far as my title is concerned. I've always been someone who's who's led, but this this was my first time actually leading people. and uh, and I faced a whole lot of challenges, you know, in the past nine years in learning how to do that. As an individual contributor, a lot of times people get promoted into leadership roles because they're really good at what they do in, as an individual contributor. and um, and I was a business analyst, a senior level technology business analyst for, the prior like 15 years. I had really worked my way up doing that and, and was very good at it. And so when this role came along and I accepted it because it was everything on it within the team I had already done already as an individual contributor and was very familiar with the technology, very familiar with the industry, knew how to do the job and the jobs of those that would report to me. So going into it, there's just a lot of obstacles to overcome when you're transitioning into that. And there was no like uh, training for how to do that you just had to figure it out on your own a lot of times and i mean my organization did offer training and things of that nature but it's it's one of those things where you really need good mentors too good people that you can can trust to go to and and talk through some issues with um and so over over the course of you know the past nine years um of being lacrosse and going through how to lead people how to influence them how to motivate them how to coach them how to um you know build them how to build the team, how to make the right hiring decisions, how to organize and structure the team, how to put in the right processes, you know, all of that stuff is hard and challenging when you're dealing with other people that are involved. And a lot of what you do impacts how they do their job and how satisfied they are with their job and how engaged they are in the work, because you can, you can really know everything you need to know in and out about a role and how to do it, but to lead others, to coach them up so you can set back a little bit and, and, and actually delegate that to them and not be too involved and in how to, you know, how to be over here and not over here. And where do I need to position myself and how do I relate to them? And what is my role to them? What does my relationship even need to look like with them? All of that stuff was something that um, was very challenging at many times to go through. And, and you know, it's had its sort of ups and downs. There's been roadblocks along the way, there's been lots of mistakes and things that I've done that I wish I didn't do, but now I've learned from them because I never look at mistakes as being anything other than lessons. That is the the thing I think I'm most proud of, and I feel it is my biggest success, um, is building that team because we've come so far, and many of those people are still with me that were with me in the beginning. I've had very little turnover on the team over the last nine years, and we've grown, we've added new roles, we've added new um, features and processes, and we've become this enterprise-level team that was just this little small team over in the corner a long time ago. Um, And so I'm very proud of the work that we do and um, of how much I've grown and how much they've grown um, over that time.
0: That's really a tribute to you as a leader as well, having low turnover. It sounds like you're very well respected in your organization. So you kind of mentioned a little bit the challenges that you faced. What do you think, Companies could do to position themselves to really retain women
1: and retain top talent? Yeah. Um, for women, I mean, for me, I think one of the things that's really helped me be successful in my role too is, is having a lot of freedom, autonomy, and flexibility. I've, I've been blessed to have a great leader and great leaders um, within my current organization and even prior organizations, but especially in my current organization that really allow me the freedom and autonomy to do my job. And to be able to have the flexibility to manage my work around my personal life and to know that, you know, I don't look at it as like a work-life balance. I, I, I never really like that word much because I feel like there's like work and then there's life. I feel like it's more of a work-life integration. You know, the two need to be like sort of intertwined with each other. Um, <clears throat> and having the, the ability to do that and know that I'm trusted to do that has really helped a lot for me. Um, as a leader, and as a woman, as a mom, as a wife—you know all the many hats that we all wear. Because even with, you know, my career. And the parenting duties still fall a lot on women, you know, within a household. I think men are starting to, you know, share a lot of that responsibility now. But I think women still hold a lot of it, even if they even if they have a partner in their life, you know, that comes in and says, I'll help with some of that. I think there's still this feeling and this pressure on women that, you know, well, I got to get the kids and I got to get the dinner and I got to get, you know, it's all of this. I mean, how many women make the joke about, you know, your husband always saying, what is there to eat tonight? You know, what are we having for dinner tonight? You know, I don't really see many women making that joke about, hey, babe, what are we having for dinner tonight? No, because it's kind of expected that we're, so taking true. Care, you know, we're taking care of dinner. So, um, yeah. So then you have that and you have the kids and you have the job and you have the, the aging parents and you have that, you know, all of these other things. I mean, just from a human perspective, not just women, we all have all of those different hats. And I think helping people position them for success the best is recognizing the humanity within people. Understanding that their life is not just about work. Work is really important, but it's not always the most important thing. Some days it is, and some days it isn't. And giving them the freedom and flexibility to, to and, and trust to make the right choice from a day-to-day perspective. And and I think if you do that, people will surprise you, and they will outshine, outwork. They will, you know, spin circles around what you thought they could do. Amazing.
0: I, I had to laugh when you shared, you know, we have our full-time jobs. We're career women, but we will always be asked what's for dinner. Yeah, <laughs> So funny. So I guess I wanted to wrap up with one final question for you. You've really worked hard and you've worked your way up the corporate ladder and you're very well respected. I wanted to ask you if you had any specific advice to give women who really want to get into high-level
1: people leadership type roles themselves? If there's one piece of advice, I would say that leadership is not about just managing people. It's really about leading yourself first. And honestly, this is something that I learned during my time at Blue Cross. So it is something that they embed into their philosophy of leadership is leading yourself first before you can lead others. And that's something I've really honed in on and it completely changed everything once I started doing that. And I'm not talking about leading yourself as in, you know, organizing your calendar, you know, or time management, those things are important. But I'm talking about really digging deep, you know, really getting to know yourself, the type of leader that you really wanna be, what's important to you, what's your purpose, why are you there every day? What are the messages that you're hoping to send to other people? And really understanding your own inner workings, you know, really get honed in on what's your leadership style, because if you understand that better about yourself, then when it comes up in conversation with other people that you're too intimidating, <laughs> you'll really get it, and you'll know where it's coming from, and you'll smile about it, and kind of unapologetically, but apologetically, you know, explain why that is, and and, and you'll know how to respond to that in a different way, and, and it'll be authentic, and that is what people want to follow. Cause I mean, that's what leadership is. People follow and you lead and they follow, you know but it's really about, you know we're all in it together too. It's not just one person in the front of the pack always you know, um, it's about, you know who can you partner with and take with you along that ride and who wants to be there with you too. And it's it's about building partnerships and it's about relationships and it's it just goes so much deeper than just the title that you hold. And I think if you wanna be successful and you want to continue to climbing the ladder, you know. Know why you're doing it. Understand yourself, you know. Work on yourself first before you can help other people grow, and and before you can mentor others, you sort of have to be your own coach. Thank you, Cheryl. It has been such
0: a pleasure hosting you today. You've really shared a lot of valuable nuggets. Um, I really admire your humility. Um, At the same time, you're a powerful woman leader. I think you're an amazing example to women. So thank you for your time and hope you have a wonderful rest of the day.